This is a reminder that some of the subject matter in this podcast does relate to the uh, subject of violence and sexual violence against minors. Please be used with appropriate caution in listening to this episode. Or if you're not feeling up to it, it's completely all right to skip this. Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, and let's get the, the business out of the way and start with a disclaimer. I want to remind everyone that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. This does not constitute working with a mental health prof- professional. I do recommend seeking a professional in your area to work on your unique issues. So if you listen to our the podcast I did with Crystal Uh, Blanton, you heard us talk about a certain person, someone by the name of Luna, who at that point, we hadn't set the schedule up yet for this occasion. And now I do have her on and we're going to have a lovely chat about her work and dealing with ancestral healing and spirituality as well. So let me tell you a little bit about Luna. Luna is a San Francisco native who's living back in the city by the bay. She's a fairy practitioner initiated in reclaiming witchcraft, a IFA practitioner. She is indebted to her well and elevated ancestors, the Orishas, the Archangel Michael. And in addition to all of this, well, very much spiritual work, Miss Pantera has also volunteered with the San Francisco Suicide Prevention and Bay Area Rape Crisis, uh, sorry, Bay Area Against Rape. Uh, and part of her lexicon of experiences that also influence this experience. Luna is a witch, a healer, a writer, and a seer. She uses her spirit, her, her sermonic gifts to help others reclaim their power, recognition, their purpose, and regain their own inner wisdom. She dare not call herself a shaman as that is a title that is earned. And she's continuing to learn and grow herself. Welcome, Luna, to Untying Knots. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. This is a really, it's a great opportunity, great honor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So how did you get here? What brought you to this place? Uh, that is such a, um, a really in-depth question, but kind of in the kind of Reedish Digest version, I was, I'm a native of San Francisco and I was born in San Francisco um, in the uh, 60s and I helped integrate it my school and, you know, people would think San Francisco back in the 60s, they think of the summer love and everything. They didn't realize that it still was a hotbed of segregation and everything else. And I remember, you know, um, my mom didn't have a landline. My godmother, who I stayed with a lot, had the landline. And we get death threats. And it was kind of like going and being integrated in all white school. We were one of, I was one of 12 kids that integrated it. And really not seeing a lot of people who look like you. You know, there wasn't a lot of characters on television that looked like me. And it was always trying to find, you know, that connection. And basically, you know, I grew up when I did hang around people who had my melatonin skin, I sounded too white, I act too white, the things I like were too white. So it was kind of going back and forth between those worlds 
And finally, I guess it was around my um, late 20s, early 30s, I started really doing more research. Like I always had read mm. like um, James Baldwin, Maya Angelou and things, but I didn't really connect the dots until, you know, I got a little deeper and a little deeper. And finally, like um, when I was around 26, 27, witchcraft entered my life. And mm. I remember the first deity I was drawn to, even though I was studying Celtic mythology, was Yamaya or Yamaja. And it was like someone who looked like me and mm -hmm. kind of went from there. And um, the whole thing about it, I always knew I wanted to work with the ancestors. It was something that, if, that when I grew up, we didn't have like, you can go to a metaphysical store and read a book or anything, but it just felt right because the stories my mother would tell were very, you know, traumatic. Like I had two um, uncles who were twins who were lynched and castrated. And, you know, she said that offhandly and I'm like, okay, that's kind of deep. And I think the moment, the actual moment that I realized I had to, there was something I really had to heal was I was raped when I was three years old. And it was something that when I told my mother, she didn't react the way you would hope. It was a lot of blame and there was a beating. It was my fault, the whole thing. And I kind of suppressed that as like one of those memories that we as black people do. It's like, I have to suppress this because I can't deal with this right now. I don't have the tools or anything. And I had suppressed it for God, almost 30 years. And I was training with the Red Crisis Center. And we used to have people come in and tell their stories. And this woman came in who was around my age and the story she told was my story. And I remember holding on to the conference table and just wanting to jump over and beat her up, like stop talking, stop talking. And I realized it was my story. And, you know, I went up, we, you know, we hugged afterwards and that kind of got me on the journey and talking to like one of my favorite cousins who kind of keeps the family history. I found out my, my story wasn't unique. Neither was my mother's story. And I even found out my grandmother had been raped at a young age and that child was my mother. So there was all this generational trauma that we as black women, especially were told, can't talk about it, gotta keep moving. We got things to do, you got families to raise, you got careers to live. And when my mom was, it was about, it was six years ago last year, um, my mom was, um, she was in convalescent home. And I knew she was getting ready to pass. And I did a reading and I, I saw the exact week she was going to pass. And um, I had some time. So I decided to start, you know, looking at like ancestral lineage repair because the teacher I had at the time, you know, he had talked a lot about it. We had talked, we had one time been in the same house, Ifa house. And we had talked about our passion for ancestors. I knew it was there, but I didn't have the tools. And I took his workshop and in that one workshop, I was able to connect with my, my mother's mother's line, which is the line I knew was the most damaged that was affecting the females in the family. And um, I saw the pain and basically it was the third woman off the slave ships. Um, her mother was a very powerful, you know, priest, uh, a, a shaman, whatever you want to call it. And she had had a thing that they had disguised themselves so they weren't desirable to the white man, in other words. And um, her daughter decided that she wanted to live up in the, the big house and be 
her little white friend's um, personal maid. And once she did take off the glamour, she did go up to the white, um, the big house. She was passed around by all the men. Her children were sold off to funds. She killed herself. And that caused her mother to take vengeance. And as the way of a witch really could, she took vengeance on all the, um, the inhabitants of that big house. And that was a curse from my family because we kept reliving those because we would have early childhood rapes of the women and it would cause like a, a, a kind of a, a rift between the mother and the daughter. So we had this over and over and over again. And because I have a, a daughter, I didn't want us to have that kind of dynamics. And I did this work and it made a big, big difference in both my life because I had struggled on and off with major depression, thoughts of suicide, and it helped my mental health. And, you know, it helped my daughter too. And to me, I want to say very clearly, because this gets kind of confused or um, muddied in when we talk about spirituality, especially by the Black community, I also was in therapy for six years. So I believe it's very, very important to have both the... Um, the Western version, if you want to call it, and the spiritual version. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it could be both. But it's also very important to find a practitioner who understands that this is important to me. This is not just some mumble jumbo. And to respect if you are Ifa or Santeria or, you know, Paulo, whatever tradition, that it's it's in tandem. But um, I, I just, I, I've seen a difference. And for me, having gone through the lockdown, having gone through like a loss of career, job, housing, if it wouldn't have been for my ancestors, I don't think I would have remained sane because they not only kept me grounded, they opened up opportunities where I never found myself on the street. I never found myself hungry. And, you know, the whole thing about it, and this is one of the things I tell my clients when they come to me, we're not going to do just do like, you know, touch, touch, touch. When you call in the ancestors, I'm talking about the well and elevated ones. I'm not talking about... Oh, I want to call in my ancestors. Well, no, having worked with all four of my lines, I know that some of my lines were very, very unwell. And if I would have opened the door to that line, I would have opened up more pain, more wounding. So it's really important that if you're going to do this work, to go to someone who's been trained in it. Because when you open the door, you have to make sure the only ones who are going to come through are the ones who can really enhance your life, not hurt you any more than you are. But, um, you know, I did do that. And... Like I said, they have got me into places and spaces I didn't think I was ready for. So um, it's about surrendering, but not in a way where you're helpless, but surrendering in like how you think and allow them to help guide you and to really be in contact and talking to them where you're not just blindly following, but you're in dialogue. So you, you have, you build up that trust. That's a lot. I know. <laughs> and I, 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 just so much there, so much there to unpack. But let me start off with saying I respect you so much for being willing to share that your story here. And I know that is not always an easy subject to talk about the assaults and so forth, but let alone what you're revealing so much about generational trauma, which is one of the things that I've spoken with several of my past guests as well. And we want, one of the biggest reasons I wanted you on here was also talk about the aspect of general generational healing via the way of our ancestral line. And yeah, psychology, which I practice and work in, 
can do so much. But again, as people who are BIPOC, who have a greater connection to world and ancestry and so forth, we also need healing there as well, because that's part of our spirit and our spirit also connects to our minds. Exactly, exactly. So for those who are not, who are in some cases hearing this for the first time, not just the ancestral, what is ancestral lineage healing? So basically the way that I see it, you know, like I, I gave an example in my family, there's a history of rape of the young women. And sometimes like you can go like, this is how this affected me. My rape, this is how this affected me. This is my wound. But if you think about it, almost like the layers of the onion, my wound on top of my mother's wound, on top of my grandmother's wound, on top of my great grandmother's um, wound. It's almost like um, I used to garden. I still love to do it. When you're pulling up weeds, you can't just pull them up. You got to dig in and get the roots to really heal. And I think with ancestral lineage repair, it doesn't just go to how this one experience affected this body, but how there might be six or seven or eight generations of that same wound. And that to really allow this not only heal, but to make sure it's not passed on to the next generation, you go in there and dig out those roots so you can remove Mm -hmm. all the pain. And sometimes you have to look Mm -hmm. and see where it came from, but sometimes just acknowledging it. And basically what it is, is that at least the way that I do it, we go, I go down with my client to go meet those ancestors. We usually have, you know, two or three, at least three guides to kind of be there to protect them. And we go and we say, we need to meet the well and elevated ancestor can help do this. And we question them because the ancestor has to be strong enough to be connected to both those before them, those after them, but more importantly, have the mojo, the power to help start the healing because the healing is not going to usually happen that moment, but it starts and it reverberates because if it took centuries to do, it's going to take at least a few days to heal. So it's four centuries, centuries. But it's starting that it's acknowledging that there is a, a greater wound than the wound that the, um, the, 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 the client might be presenting and saying, I want to dig. I, I don't just want to do a cleaning. I want to do a root canal to really get at the root and to really heal these deep wounds. So with that and being able to recognize that, because, again, like I said, this is something that we have to work on an entirely larger level than what normal therapy think operates under um what is it that for you can say is the difference between the work you do versus somebody else who's doing ancestral healing that's a very good question because um i i learned i was one of the first uh groups that mr floor uh taught and since then, I actually had a client go, I wasn't available, but I had a client go to one of um, the students after, and there was a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, because a lot, the method that I used, it was not the method I was taught because I had a situation in one of the sessions that I felt very unsafe. And luckily, because I'm a survivor, and whenever I used to counsel my clients, we always talked about safety and how we could you know, do things to feel safe or at least feel you know, better, less vulnerable. So I always, I always went down when I did this work, I always went down with certain one of my guides, usually two or three of them. And -hmm. because I had those guides there, I was not as much in jeopardy as I would have if I didn't. So how I do it a little differently, one, and, you know, I kind of talk to my client to see what, 
what trauma might be presenting in their life so we kind of have an idea of what's going on, their relationships with their different family members. And then um, I usually do a reading like, okay, this is what we can expect from this line, this line, this line, this line. But the most um, important thing I do this a little differently, I ask my client to find at least three guides that they're going to go, they're going to meet them because I have a little method I, we go, a clearing mm-hmm. method. And so they're clear and free. And then they go to, I call the sacred grove and they, they find their, their guides there to help them. Um, the thing about it is, is that, you know, a lot of times, a lot of my clients have never done this work before. They've never done any trance work. And a lot of them come from either Christian or uh, atheist backgrounds where they don't even really believe in this. But I ask them and it's like, it doesn't have to be, um, the one thing I say, it's not going to be an ancestor, but anyone they might respect or see as other than, because I, most of my clients, if they're going to do this work, they have some connection with an angel, an Orisha, a saint, someone who's elevated. And with them there, what I have found, my clients are always able to connect to that ancestor, because before I got this method, there was a fear of the unknown. So they couldn't go as deep as they needed to. But if they have like, you know, Archangel Michael there, if they have, you know, um, you know, Bridget or Oshun there, they feel like my guide's here with me, nothing's gonna happen to me. And I think it's because of my, um, my survivor mentality, my client's safety is utmost important to me. And I think that, that kind of separates me from a lot of practitioners out there because they don't understand, even though we're going to see ancestors, not all the ancestors are well and elevated, we never know what we're going to run into. So it's better to be safe than sorry. And let alone how the ancestors are going to want to interact with the uh, individual, depending on where they are in time. Exactly. Exactly. And I think some of the, my most amusing, but also scary when it first happened is I've had some of my female presenting clients to go work on their uh, patriarchal line. And the men have tried to be very intimidating until we got to the well and elevated ancestor. But if you're going down this like row of like warriors who are trying to intimidate you and you have Archangel Michael next to you, you're not as scared. Plus she was pretty badass anyway, because this was her bloodline. And when she finally met the well and elevated ancestor, he challenged her too. And she goes, you know what? Bring it on, bitch. And he's like, okay, yeah, we're going to work together now. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, it's very interesting. And I think what I love is when I have a client who meets their well and elevated ancestors, who gets on this medicine, because that's the thing. It's not just healing that happens because you're starting to repair that, that line, that connection. There's all this medicine that's going to be coming to you. And I always ask, are you going to be the mentor to help them know how to use this medicine? Know, you know, what it really represents. And that's what we do too. But um, Yeah. Yeah, and the reason I ask that is because there's as there is the, with any particular, shall we say, call it faith. There are those that are going to be in it for the money, and they're going to peddle this for those that are really seeking to really heal this and standpoint, and being able to help have people understand what are they actually asking for, and to be able to tell the difference between someone who is peddling versus who's actually here to do the healing work. And I think, you know, you, you and I know each other, so we have a relationship. Mm-hmm. I will say this, and this is something that I've, every spiritual community I've been in, we've gone back and forth at. I believe practitioners should be paid. You know, this mm-hmm. is not work to be doing free. And when I did used to do it, either free or very low cost, 
mm-hmm. people didn't appreciate it. They would end up going to someone who's charging five thousand, you know, five hundred thousand dollars. So I think they should be paid. The other thing is, back in the olden days, the priests and the healers they were taken care of by the community. They were housed. They were fed. They didn't need to know for anything. We live in a world where it's really important to be compensated. With that said, I also, um, you know. I think because there's a lot of people who've gone to other practitioners, they end up coming to me and they go, you're so different. I, I found my I found my answers the first time I've been working with this person for, you know, weeks and I couldn't get to there. Mm-hmm. I have to say it really does come down to don't go by the hype. Don't go by what you might see on Instagram or all this and that. You really have to talk to the person ask questions and better yet, trust your own intuition, trust your higher self. Do I feel comfortable with this person? Because I'm going to the land of the underworld and whether they realize or not, that's where you got to go. Anyone who tells you otherwise, they're full of shit. Excuse my French. They're full of shit. You're Mm -hmm. going to the underworld. And like with anything else, if you're going to Mount Everest, you would want a guy that you've been recommended to that you knew because basically you're going, you could be going to your death. Same Mm -hmm. thing with this, doing this work. Go with someone, I don't say you have to necessarily be humble, but someone that they don't just speak with their words, they speak with their energy. And I know that everything's online right now. Like I'm not really seeing clients in person. I'm doing online, which I can do, but you have to trust your intuition. And hopefully you do have guides that you can go to and go, okay, is this person legit? Should I do this person? Or even better yet, if like, let's say that we had a meeting and that it couldn't, it couldn't turn out. Like it, it just kept getting canceled. I might not be the practitioner for you. And I'm fine with that because mm-hmm. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But if we do hit it, we're going to, we're really going to get some work done. But I also don't have this ego where like I can work with anyone. Now there's some people I would choose not to work with because they're too resistant and they're not ready for the work. So so I think this bridge to a very uh, key question. Some would probably ask, why ancestral healing? Why should I be worrying about healing all of these other people, some of which have caused the shit I'm in, versus just taking care of me? And that's a wonderful question. I was just talking with a friend of mine who I, I want to mention uh, later on, mm-hmm. uh, who's also a therapist. I have a lot of therapist friends, but um, and communities uh, of healers, <laughs> exactly. Um, and the thing about it is, is that uh, recently I saw on Saturday Night Live, uh, Ken, Ken, we, the guy, the, the black guy, and there's been there forever. Ken and Thomas. Ken Thomas. He kept talking about ancestors. He goes, when black people start talking about bringing in their ancestors, it's getting real. And it's true. No, it wasn't Ken Thomas. It was another comedian I saw on YouTube. He was talking mm. about when we asked to bring in our ancestors, it's a big deal. And I think you're hearing that more and more, like in pop culture. Um, now, as far I'm going to talk about from my experience, but then I'll go broader. As far as black people healing their ancestors, yeah, I, I understand it. I have heard so many cases of both uh, mental, physical, sexual abuse in the families. I've heard about you know, like you know, the ones who were the alcoholics and blah blah blah. Why should I heal them? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this, and it's it's something because I, I had to work with a uh, a friend who really really had issues with certain parts of their family. It's all me because when you do this work, one of the things I ask my clients is to get um, a DNA test to see, you know, what your lineage is. And, you know, when I did it, I found out I'm 25% um, Scottish and Irish and English. And I'm going, well, I know where that came from. 
Mm-hmm. When I went to um, heal, it was mostly mm-hmm. on my, my uh, father's uh, father's line because he had red hair and freckles, but he was a black man. And I saw the whole thing. I saw what happened and it was, you know, your typical. But um, the thing that really touched me was once I was able to heal this line, they basically said they're going to be with me no matter what. Now, these are this these these are pe- pick Vikings. So the, the ones, you know, like wore the blue faces and everything, mm-hmm. they they're going to stand with me. They don't care who what color they present. They're going to stand with me because they see me as theirs. So we find out and they have medicine. This is the line that has a lot of connection to herbs and stuff, which I'm so good at. And I would think, well, it must be my African line. No, it's them. So you never know what you might be giving up if you don't do the healing for that. Because there's so many gifts. And, you know, one of the things that used to bother me so much when I was one of one of my earlier spiritual groups, I would always say we need to call on the ancestors. And because they were mostly of uh, European descent, well, my ancestors were slavers and this and, and you know, uh, you know, conquistor. I'm going, and I said, you know, you weren't all like that. There was a time where they were, they were higher elevated. Mm-hmm. There were more. So if you don't heal that, that's the, that's what you're, that's what you're sipping off. But that's as far in the well as you're going, you're drinking from the poison. But if you break through, you can get to the real medicine. So how are we going to heal as a society? If we have, we're still drinking from the same poison, either the slave mentality or the master mentality or the psychopath mentality. We have to go back to the originalness because I don't care what culture you come from, what race, what ethnicity, there was a time where your people were elevated. And yeah, sometimes I got to go back to almost the caveman (laughs) to find that in some of my clients. But even that, even with that total primitive, um, you know, mindset, they still had medicine. They still had connection to the earth, probably more so than we have now. So there's something that's to be given there. And so for me, the reason why we need to do this work, whether we're black or white or Hispanic, is we want to go back before patriarchy, you know, white supremacy took us because that's the medicine that's going to help us be strong enough for whatever's coming. So what would you say to those who feel like this type of work is in its own way magical thinking? And magical thinking is defined as... I spoke with in our earlier episodes is the idea that this is somehow going to spontaneously change things that our connection with spirit and in this magic is somehow us denying reality. I'm trying to think of one example that could really help that. I'll, I'll give you an example. So what, and I think I know why they put me through this. So basically 2020 was a very intense year for me because up until October that year, I was living out of my office. I was not in a good place. I was couch surfing. It was just not, I didn't have any roots and I was at my wits end. I was like, I can't do this. I I need to have, you know, structure because I had the money. It was just, it was just a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And I remember I woke up at, you know, the witching hour, two o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and, and they told me to get online. I went online, checked my email, and it was the place I'm living in now. And it was a whole bunch of different factors. And I said, this is the perfect place for me. And I had been searching and searching and searching. And every time I would go for something, I didn't get it. They go, it's not the time. Trust us. Trust us. And I gotten a message from both my Archangel Michael and one of my ancestors saying, you're going to find a place by in the next week. And I did. 
So I say that to say, yeah, you can think of it as magical thinking, but isn't everything magical thinking? I mean, if you think about all the inventions, even the computer we're using, it came from some sort of idea. Yes, they might have had the scientific knowledge, but who would think that we, you could be way out where you are and I'm where mm-hmm. I am, and we're sitting there having a real-time conversation. I think the thing about magical thinking, a lot of times it's like, it, it challenges the way we think. It challenges the way we're taught to think. And how much of the way we're taught to think is to make sure we stay in the little box, don't question society, don't question authority. So I'm a revolutionary. And I, I would think even if you're, if, if you're an atheist, if you're an anarchist, you got to look at magic and go, this is radical thinking. Maybe I need to take a look at it. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, you know, I think that's a beautiful place to take a break at. All right. And let everybody contemplate that while we're on the break. <laughs> so this is Perry Clark with Luna Pantera on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Come back more. We've got more juicy stuff to talk about. Talk to you soon, folks. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. This is Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Luna Pantera, shaman, healer, ancestral worker, and just all around good friend. So I have to stop you there. Remember, I don't call myself a shaman. My apologies on that. It's all right, because you know, you know, we all have that thing about certain people who call themselves shaman. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, that is a title that hopefully I'll earn when I pass, but I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Um, and I say it, I guess, just for the fact that there are some people who can figure that can make the connection towards right. the spiritual, magical working. Because, again, depending on what community you're from, the connotations around names as we long know, have its problems can affect identity and the joys of identity politics, which in its own way creates boundaries. Now, we had just been talking about magical thinking and the uh, beauty of, as you said, the uh, aspects of with magic, anything is possible. Anything's possible with magic, but there are still boundaries we have to respect. So what are your thoughts there? So it's really interesting because... There's a part of me, I love working with all ancestors, but I really love working with um, Black folk ancestors because once they get healed, doesn't necessarily mean they go stay out of your business. They get all up in your business. And I always warn my, my Black clientele, I said, listen, if you're going to do this work, 
one of the things you might want to do is say, let's get to know each other first before you get up all in my business. I said, because they will get up all in your business. And so I had a client and, you know, she hadn't done that yet because she was so happy. She met her well in all the answers. They were so sweet. And, you know, they just all the things they're going to do to help her. So she didn't say, listen, um, we're not there yet where you can start interfering with my love life. Well, they started interfering with her love life. And basically anyone they didn't like did not get through. The phone wouldn't ring. No emails were going through. And every time they were supposed to meet someone, what happened, their car would break down or something. Mm-hmm. But I say that to say that I'm at a point right now, I trust them, but we've been working together for going on seven years. So we're good. But it took a lot of things to get to that place because every time they start doing that, I get pissed. It's like, I, I'm independent. You're not supposed to do that. So it's really good to when you when you do meet the well and elevate ancestors, set up boundaries. But more importantly, very, very importantly, like it's great when you put up an ancestor altar. That's great. Know that altars are like doors to come into your life. So one of the things I always used to tell my clients when I used to work at, at the, the Mystic Dream in Walnut Creek set up an altar, but say, this is only for my well and elevated ancestors. And that way you're kind of saying, yeah, this is for all the ancestors, but only the well and elevated ones can come through right now. Cause I'm not in the position to be doing no healing for nobody. I just want to have that, that really juicy energy. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important because, you know, yes, pulp cultures, we're all talking about working with our ancestors, but you got to make sure because, a lot of my ancestors were really messed up. I said, damn, you're making me look good. <laughs> they were really <laughs> messed up. So it's kind of like you don't want to take on more of that pain. You want the blessings so they can keep their pain until you're in a position where you and the well and elevated ancestors can work to heal. But one of the most important things that's always to my clients, it is not your job or you can't do this by yourself to heal the ancestors. You need all the help you can get. So uh, boundaries are good because a lot of times people like here and they go, oh, I want to do this. And it's like, well, hold down <laughs> one, find a practitioner you work, you work with and can trust Two, you know, do what you need to, to get your life in order. Because the other thing I say, we're talking about, I know we're probably pushing the uh, horse in front of the cart, but um, you know, I, I really strongly believe that for some people, because I've worked with clients who have schizophrenic borderline personalities and things. And I will not work with them unless they're in therapy, unless they have someone trained who they can talk to because this work can bring up a lot of stuff and it's not your responsibility to handle, but a lot of times people who don't have good boundaries will take that on. So Mm -hmm. that's why there's some clients I will not see unless they are in therapy because my job is not to do more harm, it's to help heal. And I don't have a problem working with Western practitioners. And some people do need to, to be in therapy to do this work. Not everyone. Some people are in a good spot, but some people are not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that also gets into how to, and I, some of this is what we were, if you go back, do people go back to my uh, second interview with Dr. Leslie Jones, uh, the standpoint of what we're looking at when we've allowed maladaptive behaviors to become part of our family structures. Oh, yeah, I struck something there. No, it's, it's just, it's, it's very, it's very interesting because, you know, because I have a, lo- a lot of friends who are, are black therapists and I also, you know, did counseling. Um, it's amazing how, and it's not just black 
cultures. I think I've seen, I had Hispanic clientele, I've had Caucasian clientele, I've had Asian clientele. How much of when there, it comes out in the family, there's a predator, they will try to cover that up. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. okay, you need to get over it, blah, blah, blah. In some cases, if they're lucky, they'll like pay for therapy. But most times it's just, you know, it wasn't a big deal, blah, blah, blah. We'll just keep the kids away from uncle, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, you know, gay members or, you know, binary members or trans members of the family are ostracized. So I was just, I did that because I just had this conversation with someone. But going to that, um, it is interesting because when I, it, it, and just to let you know, sometimes this work is, it, it is intense. You have to be dedicated to it because I had done all the healing from my, um, my mother's father's line. Now, my mother's father's line, this is the man who raped my, my mother. And so, you know, it, no, excuse me, raped my, grand, my grandmother when she was 13. So that's the line I'm healing. And when I saw what caused the wound, it was, it was, it was, it was a big deal. It was, it was horrific. I don't want to mention it on the thing, mm. but it was really horrific. And there were twin brothers. One twin was able to elevate. The other twin got stuck. And it became this thing that fed off its descendants. And for me, I am a fair practitioner. I'm not initiated yet, but I was a fair practitioner. When I did my, what we call demon work, I saw this entity that's been with the family. And when I described him to my, my, my teacher, she said, it sounded like someone who was burned to death. And then I remember the stories I was told and I re- recognized who this was. The thing about it was, I wasn't able to get rid of it in fairy. I wasn't able to get rid of it in my ancestor lineage repair healing. It took me a, a going to a special priest to help me get rid of this thing. But at least I was able to identify it. And I know mm. what the wound was. So, um, some, and this was something that had been, I mean, it had done a lot of damage to my family. Mm. And it, it was, it, it was going to take me out if I hadn't gotten rid of it. And the good thing about it was, is that I, because of the work I'd done with the ancestors, instead of being thrown into the abyss, when it was expelled from me, I saw the ancestors gather it and take them, take, take him to be healed. So that's what ancestor work can do um, if you do it, but um, it's intense. It's, it's, you know, it's not always like that. I mean, a lot of my clients, they don't have that many wounds and a lot of them do. And it's not, it's not just about race. I've had European clients who had a lot of trauma and, you know, all, all it's it, it, trauma is trauma and it really doesn't know race. Let's just put it that way. And definitely going to continue on that one, but you actually sparked it entirely down the line. I need to ask about, and I think we also need to arrange in a session for you and I to have a, <laughs> on that ancestral healing one. You talked about the aspect of how the, LGBT members of the family get thrown away and they get lumped in with the predators. Yes. But you know, and, what they, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And as an, as an LGBT man myself, it's like, okay, you know, there's another line that doesn't get talked about that doesn't get recognized. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that standpoint in your experience with um, the ancestral work and the spiritual work we're talking about here, not just mental. One of the things I love, and it's going to make me want to cry, I have, I have a lot of friends who are uh, LGBT members, and I've worked with them. 
And for the ones, I recently worked with a very dear friend of mine who is uh, identifies as trans and they had a lot of issues with their family, you know, their mm. biological present family. And one of the things, and it, it was a very long session that I probably would have ended early because it was a lot of resistance, but this was a friend and I went a little longer and they, as they finally let go of their control, because they thought that they kept drawing in the ancestors who would disapprove of them. Mm-hmm. And I said, let that go, let that go. And it took a while. And they started getting the ancestors who not only approved, they said, we're not the ones, but let's take you to the ones. And when they met the one, there was such an outpouring of love and support and sorrow for everything they've gone through. And this person wasn't trans, but they recognized them as their descendant. And that, it took a while for my client to absorb that, but it was so healing that they had this ancestor who saw who they were and accepted them, mm-hmm. accepted them because they saw their struggle. They saw who they really were and they were ready to, to bestow upon them all the medicine of that line because they knew they were just true descendants. Even though this person had brothers and sisters, they knew they were the true descendant because they were the ones who went to help. They were the ones who did that journey. So I say that to say, that when I have my clients go, I'm scared to do this because, you know, my, my, my family's really homophobic or transphobic or whatever. I go, but that's not who we're going to talk to. We're going to go far enough back. And people need to understand the ancestors, the well and elevated ones, they've let go of all those biases. If they ha- ever had them, a lot of them never did. So when they finally see someone who's so many generations away, who's saying, I want to learn the old ways. I want to reconnect with you. That is a powerful thing. That's that unconditional love we talk about. So it's scary, but it's worth it if people take the journey. Yeah, we're definitely going to be scheduling a session to talk (laughs) with them. So because in that aspect is like, and I'll be frank for transparency. Yeah, I've also done worked with you to do healing on my family's lines and yeah there's some doozies in there too and and i can't and i'm sort of kicking myself because it's like okay well you know i probably should have a conversation with my the other lgbt ancestors as well because you know we've got a very different experience living through all of this history as well and i'm sure there's some wounds there that need to be healed and that's one of the things just to let you know one of the things i did learn before i i am finished my studies with uh, Mr. Floor, we did a parlay. Mm-hmm. And in that parlay, yes, my, um, my mother's father's line was healed, but there still had never been this kind of acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And so my mother's father's line got together with my, my mother's mother's line. And there was a moment where the man who raped her fell on his knees and said, I'm, you know, he apologized. Mm-hmm. My, my, and my, it was really interesting. My grandmother appealed as a little girl, not the grown woman I knew mm-hmm. as a little girl. And not only that, um, the other man who appeared, like in my, my, my father's, my mother's father's side, there's three well and elevated answers because they needed that much to just get them all together. And one of them is this, um, this white Presbyterian, um, actually Episcopalian minister. And he threw down his Bible at my mother's, my grandmother's feet. He says, this was never what this was meant to be used for. He goes, I'm so sorry. And she hugged him. And, but she couldn't hug, you know, the man who raped mm-hmm. him. At least acknowledged him. So I say that to say that once you do this work, you can go deeper to do those parlays and to really, now that they're, they're healed, 
they're ready to have those deeper conversations. Mm-hmm. And this just show, again shows so much of the trauma of the past and how much trauma we've also got in the present. And I know that was your work too with the Rape Crisis Center. And I know you touched on it a little earlier when we were talking about your story, but any thoughts you can share there? Well, I think, and one of the things I definitely, it, it's funny you should mention that because not only was I a rape crisis counselor, I was a, I worked with the ACLU. I work with, um, I work with Harvey Milk Club. I've worked with the National Organization for Women. I've always worked for equality for everyone. And it's always been a passion of mine because I grew up, you know, even though it was San Francisco, there were some certain places I wasn't allowed to go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that. I thought that that was wrong. One of the hardest things right now is to see where we are as a people, as a society. And I won't say all the work me and people like me did was for nothing, because I think it was for something, but I think the time of that is done. So going back to the ancestors, that those that work with me, um, they've all been getting messages that it's it's we're getting ready for something. And mm-hmm. they're getting ready, they're they're helping their their descendants get ready for whatever it is. Um I know, like, whenever people say, well, we can't win, if we can't go up against, so we've already won this. I've seen us winning. I think, and that's where we go back to that magical thinking. You have to believe the impossible is possible why even try. And I, I know with the ancestors and how I'm seeing my clients regain talents that have been forgotten for a long time. You're not going to get this in a workshop. You're not going to get this in a book. They're learning things that, that no one can teach them but their ancestors. So I truly believe that the ancestors, our daily life and us, they're all starting to merge and not in a bad way. It's more like, you know, one of the things I'm really obsessed with right now and I was going to give a workshop on is fear. Mm -hmm. And people think of fear like I'm scared of spiders, I'm scared of snakes. No, it's deeper than that. And for me, there's a deep fear of not being in control. And if you look at what 2020, 2021 has taught us, how many people are afraid of losing control from our world leaders to, you know, the people who refuse to wear masks or refuse to get vaccinated, there's a fear. And we have allowed the fear to take over everything, our happiness, our joy, our survival. And I can tell you, you know, you, you asked the original question, why do we need to work to heal ancestors? If you plant a tree and the roots become weak or sick, if you don't heal those roots in a strong wind, the tree will fall. A strong wind is coming. We have to make sure our our roots are ready to handle whatever changes might be coming. And in that regard, this is where our mental health is important. Our, Our mental health is... You know what the hardest thing for me, and I've seen it because I've been in the magical community in the Bay Area for almost 40 years. I have seen such gifted, magical men and women and everyone in between who had major trauma they never dealt with that eventually their magic consumed their mental health, their well-being. And I remember once you met, I remember Angela, my friend I introduced you to, we had gone, like she drove me to the BART station after we mm-hmm. had lunch that day. And we were driving mm-hmm. by this, um, this, um, this, this homeless black man. And he was talking to himself and he looked over at us. And for a moment, we saw the clarity there. And Angela said, 
there's a very thin line between a shaman and a madman. And I go, you're so right. And I actually had this conversation with another friend the other day that how many of either the kids who have like, you know, they're schizophrenic or how many, you know, adults are schizophrenic, then maybe they needed meds, but also someone to talk them through what they were seeing. Because how do we know they're not, not just mad, but they see things they don't understand because they were never trained. So it's one of my, and I just have to, I'm going to go off on a tangent of mm-hmm. 30 seconds. It's one of my biggest things. When I used to work at the store, people would come in and tell me how great they were. And they were normally full of shit. The people that had the gifts were the people who were kind of slithering around in the corners, looking at books and trying to find out who they were. They were the people who had the gifts. And I really, my, my thing is this country, especially after the last almost two and a half years, we need to start investing in mental health because we've all gone through this major trauma and no one's talking about the trauma. They want us to get back to normal. That was never the normal that we're seeing that. And they want to pretend nothing's happening. And as someone like my day job, I do a lot with the public. I'm seeing the aggro. I'm seeing the anger. And it's not at me. It's not at what I'm doing. It's just, they don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we really need to start talking and not just talking. We need to start doing something about mental health. Which is the nice segue into myths and realities around mental health. So I'm going to say right now to all my brothers and sisters out there, you can't pray the pain away. That is what's been killing us. That's why we have high blood pressure, diabetes, mental health. I mean, I'm surprised. And I will always say this. And by the way, I am writing a book. <laughs> and she is about a black woman serial killer. I'm surprised there's not more black women serial killers out there. And all my friends say, that's because we know how to not get caught. Because <laughs> seriously, I, Lord knows, we, we, I don't know how we do it. I'm writing about it. I'm writing about all of my ways I would kill people in a book, but I don't know how we do it. And, but seriously, we were taught that. My mom was Catholic, so she wasn't even that Christian, but it was like, swallow the pain, get over it. We've done this for centuries. We could do it. And it's it, it, the young people, I love them so much. They say, hell no, 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 we're not doing this. We got to do something different. And we have to support them in that because- you know, that's why young people in, in record numbers are leaving Christianity and going to the old religion because it gives them, it empowers them. It doesn't take away their voice or their power. So going back to the myths is that Black people, we're not that strong. We're like everyone else. And we're carrying generations of trauma, plus the fact that just being Black and knowing that I could be shot, I could be raped, I could be killed i could be beaten and there's really little recourse i have if the person's white so that on top of itself so we have to as this community especially i'm just gonna talk about black folks right now we have to come together and see how we could take the spiritual and the uh mental health because my friend um in fact i'm just gonna do a little segue my friend Mm -hmm. laura mcclannan and i we are coming up with uh workshops and um, seminars on how to really integrate psychology and spirituality. Now she's a Christian, she identifies as a Christian, I'm a witch, but we both understand that the black church has been very prominent in keeping us, our sanity together, our community together. So it's not about getting rid of it, but we have to go to the next step. How do we protect our mental health? Because it is taking a beating right now and it's, it's, if we're free walking around like half crazy, that is not living. 
So mm-hmm. it's almost like we, we need to acknowledge our pain is valid and then find the ways of really releasing it eventually because we can't hold this anymore because it's literally killing us, mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to my earlier state question is like how we have allowed maladaptive behaviors to become part of our family. Maladaptive behaviors have also become part of our spirituality in the Black church, the Black mosque, the Black covenant. Black covenant. And, you know, one of the things that I heard, and I know that I might have to enact my, my main character, Danica, if I ever saw personally, that they have been cases of priests raping their, uh, their children on the mats while during initiation. And I'm going, if spear don't strike you down, Lord knows I might have to, but you know, that's the kind of stuff. And that, you know, one of the things, and it doesn't matter what your spirituality is, and it's kind of off the subject. If you have a mental illness that's not taken care of, spirit is not going to heal you. If you're a pedophile, spirit is not going to heal you. You're going to need some help doing that. Or else you might need an Oya priestess to take your ass out. But, you know, one or the other. Yeah. So no, no faith is immune from these problems. No faith is immune. And I think, to me, what I've always seen, spirituality could be the flashlight to see what's wrong. And then you decide how you're going to handle it. But it, a lot of times it's not the fix it. It's the flashlight to help you look a little closer. And yes, there might be something in that you can use. But a lot of times it's, it's like you got you to do the work. Too many people come to spirituality and think, fix me. Because that's when I used to be a reader. People would come and say, fix me. And it's like, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you with the tools you have. But you got to do the work. I'm not, I don't want to fix you. I'm still fixing myself. So people need to come with anything, even therapy. You can go to a therapist, but if you're not going to really do the work and share and listen and respond, it's a waste of money. People have to take responsibility. So just in case me, my audio engineers can't get that, what you've been hearing in the background is the fact that another apartment in my building is under rehab. So I apologize for that. But I also would say that is the tone of spirit saying yes. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to look at it that way. Spirit is saying, yes, go on, sister. <laughs> and that truth. So I think that is a beautiful best place for us to wrap this conversation. I hope that everyone has enjoyed listening to this and is thinking about what do they need to do to look at their own family lines and their his- and get that generational healing that's there. So where can people find you? Uh, I was just about to say, can I get my website? So my website is Luna, L-U-N-A-S-T-O-U-C-H.com, lunastouch.com. And my email is heal, that's H-E-A-L, at lunastouch.com. Beautiful. Very much. So this episode right now is being recorded in January, and it's going to probably be our first one for July. So we're going to be probably coming up around around the 4th of July, which is a perfect time to also, again, remember, what are we trying to heal for ourselves, our family line, our community, our country, and ultimately our world? Because all of those lines need some work. I say, I say. And uh, don't forget June, Juneteenth, because that's what I celebrate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, I got a different series of running for that one. 
<laughs> but that is also one of those places of where we are recognizing what has been here, what we are trying to heal, and that there is no shame in having our spirituality and having our mental health. So this is Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist with Luna Pantera here on, so unti- here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be well, people can seek help. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.